Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And for our episode today, I would like to begin by turning to the 8th chapter of the Gospel according to John, where we're going to be reading the account of the woman taken in adultery. There's a great deal to be learned from this passage, from the conduct of the Pharisees, the conduct of the woman, and most certainly from the conduct of the Lord. I know that learning these lessons and applying them will make us all better people in general, and for those who are Christians, better Christians. John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 reads as follows. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone in the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. Apparently on the day before this event, the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, had sent temple officers to arrest Jesus. You might recall that those soldiers returned empty-handed. And when they were asked why, they said, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees derided those soldiers, asking, How could Jesus be the Christ if none of the Pharisees or rulers of the people had believed in him? They implied that only the ignorant were able to be deceived by him. And it was at that point that Nicodemus, the same man who had come to Jesus by night, spoke up. While not declaring himself to be a believer in Jesus, he still called for an honest hearing and investigation. He said in John chapter 7, verse 51, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? The event before us in this episode indicates that when it came to Jesus, a large number of the Pharisees were not really so much interested in what the law said as they were in trapping and ensnaring Jesus. This brings us to the woman being dragged into the temple early in the morning into the midst of the gathered crowd and presented as a despicable sinner before the Lord. Let's examine the conduct of the scribes and Pharisees present on that morning so many years ago 
And let's examine the conduct of Jesus at the time because there's a lot to be learned from both examinations. First, let's consider the scribes and Pharisees. Their treatment of this woman was totally without compassion. Her welfare was not under consideration. She was nothing but a pawn, the bait in their trap, and nothing more. She was disgraced, but that was not enough. They dragged her to the temple, brought her into the presence of a most popular teacher, and exposed her to the ridicule of the crowd. To treat her in such an unfeeling way was a disgrace in itself and the height of self-righteousness. Even before seeing how the Lord would respond to such conduct, I cannot help but think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. The conduct of the scribes and the Pharisees was utterly hypocritical. One aspect of hypocrisy is to speak or do one thing but mean another. They came professing great reverence for the law, but were making a joke of the law by their actions. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10 says, If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 22 tells us, If a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. Well, the question we need to ask is, where was the man in this situation? If they found the woman in the very act, the man had to be there as well. Where was he now? They professed great respect for Jesus, addressing him as teacher, even though many of them bitterly hated and were so very jealous of him. The whole point of what they were doing, this whole charade, was to trap Jesus. They knew the Lord's reputation for forgiveness as well as his reputation as a stellar teacher of the law. If he did not call for the death sentence as the law required, they would accuse him before the people of setting aside and disobeying the law of Moses. If he did call for stoning, then they would accuse him of being a seditionist against Rome, for the Jews were forbidden to pronounce the death sentence without the consent of the Roman governor. It was a cunning and cruel plot born of hatred, absolute lack of compassion, and meant to destroy, not bring about true instruction. Looking at the conduct of the Lord's enemies in this case, I am just overwhelmed by the wrongness, if that is a word, of what they did. If religion means anything, it means a profound reverence for God and a deep respect and love for man. But what the Pharisees did in this case manifested neither. They were making a mockery of God's law in their self-righteousness and sowing absolutely no regard at all for the lost soul of the woman. They didn't care. On several different occasions, Jesus made a statement that fits so perfectly right here. For instance, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, we find, Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
there is a vitally important lesson that all of us must learn in our lives. It is simply this. The observance of the ordinances of God, such as faithful attendance at worship, study, charitable acts, teaching the word, and all such like mean very little if they are not underscored by love and compassion. I think we all can benefit tremendously from a reading of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. He wrote, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So many of the scribes and Pharisees were always so ready to point the finger and to be very harsh and condemnatory in their judgment. But they did not know what compassion and love in practice truly meant. Let's compare this with the conduct of Jesus and the lessons we can learn from the Lord. We could say a great deal about the Lord's perfect knowledge. He knew the motives of the scribes and Pharisees and what they were doing, and he knew their intentions. We could speak of his insight into the character of the accusers and of the woman. We could speak of his consummate wisdom in the incredible way with which Jesus dealt with their question. But you know what I want to talk about? I want to address the Lord's purity and holiness. We can see it in his calm demeanor. Jesus was well aware of their cunning and treachery. He knew the malicious design behind what they were doing, and he knew of their unjustified hatred of him. But do we see him reacting in kind? Absolutely not. He was so calm and self-possessed, and I truly believe the reason he was that way was because of how he viewed himself and others. The ungodly motives, manner, and action of the scribes and Pharisees were doing more damage to them than they were to Jesus. In this, Jesus is an example of how to deal with those who oppose us in less than honorable ways. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21-23, through 23, we find these words referring to the Lord. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. We can see the Lord's holiness in his vindication of the law. Jesus knew exactly what the law taught, and the claims of the law were admitted. But did you see what he said? He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. I'm afraid that sometimes those of us who really ought to know better, those of us who have had, who have had the, the most forgiven, can be the most harsh and censorious in our approach to others. The servant who had been given 10,000 talents was far more harsh with his fellow servant who owed him, owed him 100. The fellow with the beam in his own eye is often the one most likely to see and point out the moat in the eye of another. Sometimes, having received the wonderful blessings of the mercy and forgiveness of Christ, it is easy to look down our noses at those still caught up in the world and forget that where they are, we once were, and that they need help, love, and compassion, not a holier-than-thou attitude. It is true that the most holy are the most merciful. 
Jesus was so purely holy that he was also purely merciful. He was a foe of sin, but a lover of the sinner. We must make certain that we recognize the difference as well. We see the Lord's holiness and purity in his condemnation of sin, and that would include the sin of the Pharisees and scribes, as well as the sin of the woman. Jesus cut right to the heart of the matter, laying aside all pretenses and focusing upon why they had brought the woman, what they were attempting to do, accomplish, and perhaps shining the piercing light of the spiritual microscope upon their own lives and condition. Their consciences convicted them. The presence of Jesus and his word pierced them through, and with their own wickedness laid bare, they turned and walked away, from the oldest to the youngest. At the same time, Jesus did not excuse or condone the ungodly and wicked behavior of the woman. She had sinned, and he called for her to bring forth fruits of repentance. He said, Go, from now on, sin no more. I also want to notice the tenderness and mercy of Jesus. We see it in his conduct toward those scribes and Pharisees. In actuality, they were more his foes than the woman taken in adultery. He must have been disgusted with them and their blatant hypocrisy, but Jesus treated even them in a very tender way. He was forthright and uncompromising, but not cruel or unkind. He took no advantage of his personal great superiority. Even when Jesus turned the full light of truth upon the scribes and Pharisees and made them examine themselves, he did it in a way meant to help them. Instead of railing upon them as guilty sinners fit for hell and giving the impression that he was glad that that was their ultimate destination, Jesus taught them in a way that enabled them to see their own condition. We also see the tenderness and mercy of Jesus in his conduct toward the woman. I'm afraid that many of us, confronted with a woman taken in the very act of adultery, would be pretty harsh, almost like Simon the Pharisee in Luke 7, who looked at the adulterous woman as she washed the feet of Jesus with her tears and dried them with the hair of her head and anointed them with the ointment from the alabaster box. To himself, Simon said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Simon recoiled from such an individual. Jesus had compassion. It's awful easy to be like the Pharisees of Luke chapter 18, verses 10 and 12, where we read two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. I go to church three times a week. I give up my means. I'm pretty good, and thank you, Lord, for that. This woman, sinful and degraded as she was, was treated with respect, concern, and compassion by Jesus. Here, as he so often did, Jesus reflected the depths of mercy he had and the boundless love he felt for mankind, even at its worst. What a lesson for us. On the final Tuesday of his life on earth before his crucifixion, fully aware of what was going to take place and yet determined to allow it to happen, Jesus spoke of the judgment that would come upon that generation of Jews, the very people alive then, most probably the destruction of Jerusalem. 
For so long God had sought to secure the repentance of the people, and they had shed the righteous blood of the prophets. For three years Jesus had pleaded with them to accept him and receive salvation. In less than three days the crowd before Pilate would reverberate with the cries of, Crucify him! Crucify him! Yet in Matthew 23, verse 37, we see the continued compassion of Jesus for sinful man as he made this incredible statement. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. The truth is that in a very real way, Jesus is still saying the same thing to all of those who are not Christians or who are unfaithful in their walk. How often I wanted to gather you together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. How long will that description fit your continued refusal to come to the Lord? Just stood for thought. Thanks for listening.